The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. I'm sure that as the Israelites lived in slavery in Egypt, as they worked to make bricks for Pharaoh and build his monuments, as they struggled, as they were burdened, I'm sure that they thought, that they hoped, and looked forward to the idea of freedom. What a great idea that is. To be freed from their bondage, to have their chains loosed, to be their own people once again. What a great idea that would be. And so maybe, maybe they entertained different ways of getting there. Maybe they thought about rebellion or revolt, turning against their slave drivers. Maybe they thought about fleeing, about running out of the land, trying to leave Egypt. But where would they go? It was just an idea. Seems like a good idea, seems like a great idea, but really it was just an idea, that notion of freedom, maybe God would rescue them. And so they cried out to God. They prayed to him. Maybe he would hear their petitions. Maybe, maybe someday we'll be free. Well, then one day God sent Moses to the people of Israel, and he came promising freedom. And all of a sudden this great idea started to take on life. Now, you know how these kinds of ideas work. You've had conversations with people, made plans with family and friends that you know, you really know it's just an idea. It's just going to stay an idea. Wouldn't it be great if? Someday we'll have to. But here was Moses, giving life to that idea, giving life to that hope of freedom. But maybe it was too good to be true. And in fact, 
it really did seem too good to be true. For when Moses came and brought the plea to Pharaoh, let my people go, God says, let them go. You know what happened? Things got worse for the people of Israel. Their taskmasters drove them harder. They gave them heavier burdens to bear. They made them produce more bricks without straw. Things got worse. This idea of freedom, we've kind of gotten carried away with it, haven't we? We've let it carry us away. Now we've got trouble. That's a problem with good ideas. When they drive you along, sometimes you get out over your skis and you find yourself in uncharted territory. You find yourself somewhere you were unprepared to be. So here are these heavier burdens and things come crashing down all around them. Things start unraveling. Moses declares to Pharaoh there's going to be some plagues and one plague after the other, but this brings destruction on the whole land of Egypt. It must have been terrifying. Even to be an Israelite, even in the plagues that they were spared, it must have been terrifying. The world is coming undone. Things are getting out of hand. This idea that we believed, this notion of freedom, this is a problem. Maybe it's too much, too good to be true. Maybe we're not ready for it. And they thought that even as they were led out of Egypt, even after the 10th plague when God killed the firstborn in all the land, as they found their way to the brink of the Red Sea, here we are in real trouble now. Pharaoh's coming after us. There's a Red Sea in front of us. We've overcommitted. We've sold out. We bought in too far into this idea. Yet again, God preserves them. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry ground. And Pharaoh and his hosts are destroyed. But now they find themselves in the wilderness. Maybe we'd be better off back in Egypt. There's no food out here. There's nothing to drink. This idea of freedom, it seems great. It's a great idea, but let's keep it as an idea. Let's just fantasize about it. Let's just entertain it and live comfortably back in slavery. That's what the people wanted. If this is all it is, if it's all it is, it's better in our heads, just to hold it in our hearts and never to realize it. That's what the people of Israel thought, and they were afraid. Not unlike the disciples were afraid in our gospel lesson this morning as they hid behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. It had been a great idea. Here's the Messiah, the one the scriptures had prophesied from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3. Here's the one who we hoped would bring the kingdom of God. That's what he said he would do. The kingdom of God, the reign of God among us. And look, he healed all kinds of people. He cast out demons. He even raised the dead. He spoke truth and freedom. He declared liberty to those in bondage. He promised us the end of death and futility, the end of just sort of spinning our wheels and going nowhere, the end of just growing old and dying, of wasting our lives, the end of sorrow and grief. He promised to wipe away our tears. It was a great idea. But now, maybe things got a little out of hand. Maybe this idea had carried us away. Maybe we are out over our skis right now. After all, they drove nails into his hands and his feet. They placed a crown of thorns on his head, and he breathed his last. Where's that idea now? They laid him in a tomb. There, in that tomb, that idea is decaying away, turning into dry bones, like those bones Ezekiel saw in that valley. Three days he was in that tomb. Now, on the first day of the week, 
that idea seems like a really bad idea, or at least the kind of idea that you just want to hold on into your head. You don't want it to see the light of day. It's better off if we just think about it. Wouldn't it be nice if someday the Messiah came and set us free? But for now, we'd be better off never having believed. We'd be better off not having to be afraid. Even Mary Magdalene, when she came and reported to the disciples that Jesus was alive, that she had seen him in the garden, that she had spoken to him, that he had called her by name, even then, they didn't believe. It's too much. This is getting too risky. This is too dangerous. If we buy into this idea any longer, we're going to be in a world of trouble. Even when Peter and John came back and reported an empty tomb, here they are, huddled behind closed doors. They're afraid. Maybe we got carried away. Now, the whole point of the resurrection, the whole point of celebrating Easter is that this is not just a good idea. This is not just some sort of a fantasy that you hold on to in your head like wishful thinking or the opiate of the masses. That if you just think positive thoughts, life won't be so bad for you. If you just hope for the future, if you look forward to some vague resurrection, everything's going to be okay and you can ignore all the trouble around you. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just a good idea. We're talking about something much better. Something real. After all, Christ is risen. Christ is risen in his flesh and blood, not risen as an idea, not risen as a fantasy, not risen spiritually to be with you, lingering in your memories, somehow distant and far, but here with you right now. Christ is risen. In fact, so near that not even a locked door can keep him from his disciples. He comes in through that door and he speaks peace to them. Peace to the disciples who believe that there is no peace, who think that everything has come undone, that all of their hopes have been dashed, that the world has become unraveled. He speaks peace to them. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not death or futility. Fear not sickness or sorrow or grief. Don't fear loss. Don't fear anything. Peace be with you. And he breathes on them, breathes life into those dead bones. After all, they were dry and decayed, just like those bones lying in that valley, which seems an impossible situation. Who can raise those bones from the dead? No doctor that you or I know can raise dead bones, can put flesh back on them. It's impossible. And yet, that is precisely what God does. He breathes on the disciples and breathes new life back into them, the life that they had lost in unbelief he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. The one who overcame the grave had come to declare victory to them, to give them that same victory over death and the grave. Nothing can hurt them. Now Thomas happened not to be there on Easter Sunday. He missed church on Easter. And so he didn't get to see Jesus. He didn't get to hear, peace be with you. He didn't get to receive the spirit that Jesus breathed on his disciples. He did not get to see Jesus' hands and his feet, and so he doubted. But notice this. Thomas thought it was a great idea. He thought that the resurrection, that new life in Christ, that victory over death would be wonderful. But he knew, Thomas knew, that an idea doesn't save anyone. Look, if I'm going to believe this, I need to have the real deal. 
I need the flesh and blood of Jesus. I need to see those wounds. I need to stick my finger into his side. Otherwise, what is the point of believing? What is the point of holding on to some vague idea in your head? I need Christ. I need Jesus in the flesh. Thomas kind of, kind of gets a bad rap. It's unfortunate to be known as Doubting Thomas for generations and generations into the future. But really, Thomas didn't disbelieve any more than the other disciples. In fact, Thomas believed. He just believed it was too good to be true. He believed if the resurrection were to happen, it would be everything for him. If Christ were raised from the dead, that's it. That's all you need. And yet, it seems too good to be true. And so Christ comes, and he meets him, and he shows him his hands and his side, and he invites Thomas to receive just what he needs, the assurance that Christ is indeed risen from the dead. The assurance from Christ himself that death no longer has any power, that sin cannot hold any sway over you anymore, that you have been set free, and that you have a future and a hope. Thomas wanted to see Jesus. Like a newborn infant, he longed for that pure spiritual milk. Think about that picture that we heard in our intro from 1 Peter. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. A newborn infant only thinks about one thing, receiving good gifts from its mother, being fed and nurtured and cared for by his mother, being well cared for and never afraid. That's what a newborn infant longs for, and that is the encouragement and the invitation for you. Like newborn infants, long to see Jesus as Thomas did. Long to be close to him, close enough to stick your finger into his side. Long to receive from him peace and his spirit. Because as Thomas knew, if that's true, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then that is the one thing that matters above all else. Take seriously the gift that Jesus has given you today. His own flesh and blood. Take seriously the gift that he gives you in his flesh and blood. Life and salvation and eternity. You leave here today entering into a world that is full of dread and terror. It is set on death and futility. There is nothing but hopelessness in our world, but you have something better, for you leave here having received Christ himself, having received the gift of eternal life. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Christ is risen for you. Today he gives you Forgiveness, life, and salvation. He gives you peace and victory. Blessed are you. For though you have not seen, though you do not stick your finger into his side, you have believed what has been spoken to you by those who did see it. St. John writes, these words have been written that you may believe. Those eyewitnesses, they knew that nothing else mattered, and so they wrote it down. So that now, 2,000 years later, you and I can hear and believe and rejoice that our Savior lives. Alleluia! Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.